0: and shares the warmth and light of Christ with each of us. Peace be with you, and Happy New Year, as today, the first Sunday of Advent, is the beginning of the new liturgical year. And friends, our gospel for this first Sunday of Advent begins where the readings from last liturgical year left off, namely with apocalyptic musings. Recall that apocalypse means Literally, unveiling or revelation. Jesus uses, once again today, language from the seventh book of the prophet Daniel. Listen. For the powers of the world will be shaken, and then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He's talking about his definitive arrival, and he's hearkening back to the seventh chapter of the book of Daniel. Now, recall from last week that Daniel spoke of a succession of four kingdoms, which would be followed by the arrival of God's definitive kingdom. Remember, he talks about the dream of Nebuchadnezzar, of the statue made of four different substances. Then a rock, not hewn by human hand, comes and shatters the statue. That's the passing of the four kingdoms and then the establishment of a final kingdom. It's also what the prophet Jeremiah is referring to in the first reading for today when he speaks of the raising up of a just shoot for David. Now, what's that? That's the fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy. Nathan was David's court prophet, and he predicted that a son of David— would reign forever. So we have a coming together of a number of prophetic utterances. But I realize how kind of strange and distant all this can sound to us. The prophet Daniel and Jeremiah and Nathan and these these obscure predictions. How is any of this relevant to us and our time? Well, I think despite how distant it can sound, there's an enormously important spiritual point for us behind all of it. And here's what it is, I think. We should not trust in any of the powers of this world to give us final security and peace. Let me just say that again. We should not trust in any of the powers of this world to give us final security and peace. Such peace will come only with the arrival of God's kingdom. That, I think, is the message that resonated with people in ancient times should resonate with us today. Because one of the most enduring convictions of human beings, and you can see it up and down the centuries and across the cultures, is that We can make things right if only we find the correct political, economic, or cultural configuration. That's that's a conviction up and down the ages. You know, if we just make the right changes, have the right revolution, rearrange things politically in the right way, we can make things good. Now, let me give you a few examples of this. When Alexander the Great, in the ancient world, conquered much of the Middle East, going as far as India, he brought with him, indeed, many of the benefits of Hellenistic civilization. Alexander wasn't all bad. I mean, he brought with him a lot of good things, and to this day, to this day, many parts of the world benefit from Alexander's conquest. The best and brightest people within his empire saw themselves as benefactors of backward peoples. And to a degree, they were right about that. But as we know, in very short compass, Alexander's empire fell apart. At his death, his generals battled over his uh, empire, and things devolved into quarreling and violence. When the Roman Empire few centuries later, was established under Caesar Augustus. Romans began to feel that their political arrangement was a boon to the whole world. The best of them, think of people like Virgil, who was in the circle of of Augustus. The best of them didn't see themselves as oppressors or tyrants, but benefactors. And again, as was the case with Alexander, they weren't entirely wrong. I mean, Rome brought enormous benefits to the world. We're still, in significant ways, the happy inheritors of Roman civilization. I can't help but think of that famous scene in the Monty Python movie about, you know, what have the Romans ever done for us? And, well, aqueducts and the highways and and sanitation. And I mean, the Romans brought a lot to the world. But, as we know, the Roman Empire eventually fell into incomparable corruption under some of these terrible emperors. It managed, thereby, to bring misery to millions. Think of the uh, first Christians who were brutally persecuted by precisely the best and brightest in the Roman Empire. And when it finally collapsed, Europe entered into centuries of disorder and chaos, We call them the Dark Ages. It was the inheritance of the collapse of Rome, which was brought about by moral and and, uh, uh, political contradictions within its own system. In a word, Rome didn't solve the problem, just as Alexander's Greece didn't solve the problem. Move forward now several more centuries. Think of the great European powers, during the Age of Discovery. Think now, you know, France and England, Portugal, Spain especially, who saw themselves as benefactors of the peoples of the New World, bringing civilization and the gospel to them. Well, I mean, we'd be blind if we didn't notice that they did indeed accomplish a lot of great things. I'm recording these words in um, Southern California in the very area where Junipero Serra did his missionary work, bringing the gospel, and in many ways bringing uh, civilization to people who could benefit from it. Of course, I find it fascinating that uh, Christianity today, in the early 21st century, is flourishing the most precisely in the lands to which the faith was brought in the 16th century. Think of, you know, where is the Catholic faith strongest right now? Well, Brazil, Mexico, the Philippines, and the United States. Even as it's withering on the vine in those same European countries where it came from. Think of the church in England, in France, in Spain, in Portugal. It's withering away. It's flourishing precisely in the places that the great figures of the 16th century brought it. So... Yeah, these were benefactors. They did accomplish great things. But, as any objective historian will tell you, they also brought with them disease, corruption, and tremendous oppression. Again, in the same part of the world that I'm in. Think of the oppression brought by many of the uh, the missionaries and the uh, colonists who came with them. More to it, Those European colonial empires have long ago collapsed into dust. You know, one of the most powerful messianic political movements of the last 200 years has been modern liberalism, which endures to this day. Modern liberalism and the attendant myth of progress. How often you hear it, I'll go back in the literature of the last 250 years. If only we follow modern developments in politics, economics, and culture, we will throw off the shackles of the old order. I mean, think here of Jean-Jacques Rousseau. Think of Voltaire. Think of Thomas Jefferson, the French revolutionaries, and all their political allies and descendants. Think of, in our country, the Manifest Destiny movement. It was all part of this general élan of the myth of progress that modern liberalism will be the great benefactor of the human race. And again, this endures very much to the present day. Listen to some of our politicians. Well, once again, this has proved to be, at best, a mixed blessing. I mean, we be blind not to notice how the liberalization in the last couple hundred years has uh, benefited the human race. I mean, who wants to go back behind all the accomplishments of modern science and of political liberation and so on. But we'd be equally blind if we didn't notice how an awful lot of negativity has come precisely through the liberal movement and the myth of progress. Beginning with the great terror, the terror that followed the French Revolution. You don't come along with our new uh, brave new world, we'll do you to death. Think of the genocides of the 20th century, in many ways generated by this very uh, confidence in the myth of progress. We could debate this point, but I think in many ways uh, the communist movement that emerges in the 19th century, flourishes in the 20th century, it partakes of this modern myth of progress. It's clearly a messianic movement. Marx was convinced that the social revolution he called for would bring an end to history. It would bring an end to oppression. Well, it brought an end to tens of millions of lives in the 20th century. Produced the most oppressive tyrannies we've ever seen. The point I hope by now is clear. And it's an ancient insight that goes right back to these biblical prophets. Never put your ultimate faith in any of the kingdoms, social arrangements, or political programs of this world. They are all, in one way or another, attractive. And they are all, to some degree, uh, benefactors. But they all are accompanied by shadows. And they're all destined to fall. What you should look to is the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Now, what's that symbolic uh, speech for? It's meant for the establishment of God's kingdom through God's power. Oh, just as a distant hope against hope? No, no. No, no. You can see it even now. Because that kingdom is none other than the church. The followers of Jesus Christ Christ coming on the clouds of heaven. Well, in a certain way, think of Christ coming on the clouds of incense at the liturgy. That's the kingdom. Now, in seminal form, not fully realized, yes, of course. But that is the order to which we should look. That is the adventus. It just means arrival or coming that we should anticipate. Not the coming of a new political figure, but the coming of Christ and his definitive kingdom. And God bless you. Thank you for listening to this week's homily from Bishop Robert Barron. For more resources from Bishop Barron, please visit wordonfire.org.